But now, just like we do at NYC, for a ton of time, we're going to read the Bible. So Lucy's going to come and read our passage for us, which you find on the inside of your lovely page. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you still afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. But he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down from the steep, down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away, and began, began to proclaim it in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Uh, to be here 
and we always love it when people join us to just explore and find out what Christians believe. So, uh, welcome if you're doing that. We do believe that um, the Bible is God's Word. You don't need to believe that to read it, uh, but here we have that conviction. And because of that, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to help us understand it, help me to be able to explain what He's doing. Lord, thank you for this word that you've given us. Please help us to be able to understand it faithfully and help us be able to understand you and to be able to respond rightly to your word. Well, I have always believed in miracles. It was the first word of Scott Morrison's acceptance speech on Saturday night, or actually, I think it was Sunday morning by that stage. It was the only way that he could explain, or perhaps anyone could explain, how he could have won the unwinnable election. It was a miracle. And so he put miracles on the agenda. What we happen to be looking at today. Do you believe in miracles? Uh, miracles happen once in a while. If anyone knows that time, um, I think it's from 2001, so maybe they don't know that <laughs> Miracles happen. I don't believe in miracles. Depending on what you mean by miracles. Uh, it's a bit of an issue that comes up. If you look in the Oxford Online Dictionary, it defines a miracle as an extraordinary and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore attributed to divine agency. So if you see something that you can't explain, doesn't seem to make sense, can't seem to work it out, well, you say God did it, or a God did it. Some higher power, divine being did it. And that's what most people in our world think that Christians think that is true, is happening. Or that that's what the Bible teaches. That if you see something that you can't explain, then God did it. Or if you, where do you look to find God? You find him in the places where strange things happen. And so, as science advances and explains more and more things about our world, uh, God gets a bit smaller. Because we used to say God was in did this and God was in control of that but we now can explain it and so God gets smaller the God of the gaps um, idea or the God of the gaps syndrome and so ultimately we'll be able to explain everything in scientific terms and so therefore we need have a need for God in fact you can hear the language of it um, around here at uni how this comes through I've spoken to a couple of people last week and this week who also I don't, I don't feel like I need God. I don't feel like I need for God. If I don't, if I don't think that I need a God to explain things, then God mustn't be there. Is the way that people that come through to people. I'm not sure if you've heard that too. The problem with all this is not so much this dictionary definition, but a worldview that's behind it. The 19th century. 18th and 19th century worldview of deism or deism. 
That is, there's an impersonal God. If there is a God, there's an Im- he's an impersonal God. He's the God out there God, beyond us God. He's the, he's the sky fairy God that's way out there. He's not the God of the Bible. He's very different from the God of the Bible. And it changes how you understand how you understand God changes how you understand what's happening with Jesus' miracles that we see here. So chapter 4 last week, we saw that Jesus was speaking in parables. He did this block of parables. We didn't see them all. But Mark's put them in a block altogether for a purpose. And now we see a block of miracles. And so we're meant to be thinking, why, why are these here? Why, what's Mark doing? What's Jesus doing? Well, the first one, your point two, is showing Jesus' power over the natural world. So, verse 35, which is the beginning of that reading. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus, that is, let's go across the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Well, we know the happy ending to the story, and always the case when you know the happy ending to the story, you don't really appreciate what's going on to the people that are in the story, and the sheer terror that they feel, no doubt, being in amongst those, the things that are happening. But we know that it's going to work out okay for them. But these were fishermen, and they're in fear of their life as their boat is filling with water fast, while Jesus is asleep on the cushion. Doesn't that mean there was only one cushion in the boat, and Jesus is asleep on it? Why don't they have more cushions in the boat? That's what I think. I don't know if you think these sorts of things as you read the Bible. Jesus is asleep on the cushion. Well, he's asleep. And they wake him like frightened children. Don't you care that we are perishing? And he gets up and he rebukes the wind and said, Peace, be still to the sea. Now, yelling at the sea is not normal. I'm not sure if you do that. Uh, yelling at the sea in order to say, like, stop. Um, if, if you are going to do it, do it away from people that they want to see you or film you, uh, or unless you can pull it off. And if you can pull it off, well then, give it a shot. Jesus pulls it off. The sea seems to listen and obey him. The wind dies down and the waves, which would normally swell around for days after the wind had died down, it dies down immediately and becomes completely calm or with a great calm or in the original it's mega, mega calm. It's pretty amazing the calm. Jesus rebukes the wind and now he rebukes his disciples in verse 40. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Well, what were they supposed to have faith in? What were they supposed to be thinking and having faith and believing that things would be okay? Was Jesus thinking, they know their Old Testament's their 
the people of the book, the people of the Old Testament should be, they should know lots of passages in the Psalms. Pick out one of them, like Psalm 107, which says, here we go. Some went down to the sea in Egypt, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. When he commanded and raised the storm in the he lifted up the waves of the sea, and announced up to heaven. They went down to the depths, their courage had knocked away their evil flight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And they were stormed still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad when the water was quiet, and he brought them to their desired home. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous work for the children of men. See, the Lord, Yahweh is his name, is the one who controls the wind and the sea. If you have faith in the Lord, Yahweh, then, then call out to him. Call out to him. He's the one who saves. He is the one who brings people through their distress and harms the storm. So what's Jesus expecting them? I wonder whether he's having a chance to teach them as we're going through this moment of distress. Because they hadn't quite grasped the reality of who Jesus is. If they did understand who Jesus was, He's actually the Lord walking amongst them. That he was not only the one who controlled the wind and the waves, but he's the one who who operated all of creation, who owns the wind and the waves. Then they would have called out to him in faith. Funny, they actually do call out to him, not realising who he actually is. But he actually saves them as the one in Psalm 107 does. The one who is the Lord. So what are we supposed to be thinking from this? Putting what the Old Testament says amongst the other Psalms and what we see here in Mark 4 that are we supposed to be seeing God himself as is at work in his world? <coughs> see, the 19th century deist says or mocks God as the sky fairy. He's the one, but he's outside the system. He's way out there doing something. And a miracle on that basis is one where things are running normally and then the sort of the, the, the God puts his finger into the system, like into the clockwork to, to change things, to bring about something different, to bring about a miracle. But it's not the view of the Bible. It's not the view of Christians. Uh, Biblical worldview or theistic worldview says that God is involved in his creation intimately at every point, at every moment. And so you can see that in passages like Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, this is where God, God um, in the last days, is spoken to us by his Son who he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. 
He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, there's a theistic understanding of the world. Not that God is outside tinkering with the system from time to time, but rather, who is in control? It's the sun. And how does he do it? He upholds everything by the word of his power. That is, every molecule, every chemical reaction, every square inch of the universe doesn't just happen away because of the laws of physics that you can investigate to find the laws of physics, but they happen because they're sustained by the word of God. That's why I find it difficult to believe in miracles. Because everything, in one sense, is miraculous. God is not sustaining the world in some regular way, and then when something different happens, somebody else is coming and doing something different. Whether it's extraordinary or whether it's normal, it's all being done by God. There is a, once you understand that, there is a white right to being able to say, that's miraculous, that's against the normal flow of things. God normally has things running this certain way, but he's made something very clear in the system, done something. And that's the way that miracles are used in the Bible. They're not just shows of power, they are significant moments where God is saying something, doing something, showing something. So, the... Um, the sky fairy jive is, is no real problem, there's no real attack for, for biblical Christians. The more uncomfortable question that should be asked is if, if God is like this, if God does uphold the universe at every point, then why isn't he doing something in the world? Why isn't he doing more in the world? Doesn't he care that we are perishing? That's the more uncomfortable question. Well, what is God doing in the world? If he's so powerful. Well, Jesus shows us that he actually is bringing people salvation. He's saving, he saves his disciples. And he's bringing people from hopelessness and indeed death to life and hope. Now, I'd like us to meet somebody um, who actually can testify to that happening in their life. And Josh here, I've asked you to come up and we're going to meet him. Um, we can welcome Josh. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Um, now, tell us your full name. My full name. Joshua Benjamin Fulton Harvey. Oh, okay. And what are you studying? Uh, first year engineering. Um, that's actually <laughs> First year engineers. Yeah, cool. They're all going to front. There's three One guy Oh, cool. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. uh, and we're home for you? Home's final, so not too far away. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Are you going to Cool place. Now, have you always known who Jesus is? 
I would classify myself as a new Christian. Um, I stepped foot in the church for the first time last December. Um, pretty awesome experience. Pretty scary experience. Um, yeah, hang on. So you, you've never been to church? No. You've never like even been inside a built like a like room maybe? But no real community, but yeah. Um, okay. How would you describe Jesus um, back then? Jesus for me was someone I didn't really think about, but I still felt a sort of oh, I'm not really living the way because I was in I was in an Anglican school. Um, he was still around. I didn't understand what his purpose was. I just thought he was like. I've just got to be like helping people and being a good guy and then Jesus will like me. Mm. Um, so yeah. Now, that's not just the case now anymore. Um, tell us what um, what changed for you. What changed for me? Um, so I picked up a Bible at the end of year 11. Um, and for me, I hold the Bible as like the foundation of my faith. Um, so you, you, did, you, know, you didn't pick up with any Bible, did you? No, I picked up a kidney. Is yeah. that yeah, 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 yeah. Like those little video little, like Bible Bible. Um, you see people handing out. Yeah, yeah, it was in my so drawer at home. I have no idea how it got there. It just kind of scares me. So yeah, I picked that up and I, in, a, in like six months, I read from Matthew to First Corinthians. Like I just picked it up and just ran with it. Um, and yeah, I just couldn't deny its truth, really. Um, it was a bit like turning my head up right now. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that. What, um, what was the, the few of well, key points for you? Well, I spent, last year I spent half the year realising like how broken I was um, and how like morally like I thought, like yeah, like I'm a good guy, you know, like I do good things, like I treat people well. Um, but Christianity really has like a high standard, like down to like your heart and your thoughts and things like that. Um, in my heart, I knew that I probably wasn't doing the things for the right reason. And then I spent the other half of the year realizing that I'll actually never reach that thing um, and what Jesus is and what he did for us and how I need to grow that faith and separate my works and grace. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, how do you describe Jesus? As my saviour. Simply as my saviour. Um, it's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus did for me. We're saved by grace, not by works. Um, and that's so easy to say done. Um, and I've just got to put my faith in him as best as I can. So that was the same thing that you've ever Yeah. Amazing. It's like a nice look again. Yeah. What have been the, the highlights and lowlights, or the, the challenges? and Challenges. Um, if someone told me six months ago I'd be standing here with a shirt that had uni Bible group on it, I'd probably laugh at you. Um, you know, doing walk ups at Easter, like scariest moment ever. Um, but so yeah, challenges. It's been scary owning your faith, um, but also awesome and like so good. Like coming for the first time into a church with like actually. Like people that believe in what, like what you believe in, and come to you, like so, so, good. so yeah. Good. Good. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. Good. Hey, have, have a prayer. You thanks to God for.
Dr. Josh and what he's done in his life. Father, thank you uh, for what you've been able to hear uh, just now of your amazing, powerful work in, in Josh's life, to bring him from, from death to life, from not knowing you to knowing Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Lord, thank you for having mercy on him uh, and saving him. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to grow him in his understanding of you and how to live for the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, yeah, today's about salvation, and we see it again in the next little chunk of the passage, chapter 5, we've got it there. As we see Jesus' power to save from the spiritual world. Because they travelled, after they arrived safely on the other side, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasons. And verse 2, when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him among the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who lived among the tombs. Well, here's a guy who epitomises living in the realm of the dead. He's living amongst the tombs. He's got an existence where he's alone. We were told that when he was younger, no doubt younger, he, he was bound with chains. And now that he's older, uh, stronger, they can't bind him anymore. And there's the awful scene you could probably imagine of him being cast out of his community out of the town. No one's able to find him anymore. And so he's driven out to live in torment among the tombs, among the dead. With an evil spirit, as we learn that there are many evil spirits within him. And he cries out night and day with a routine of self-harm. It's just ongoing. Is beyond help. Nobody in the town can help him. Perhaps nobody wants to help him. Maybe they do, and they're just, there's nothing that can be done. Um, I wonder if I was in that town, I'd be half happy that he was gone. But what's the future for someone like that? He's beyond help. And then Jesus turns up, having stepped off the boat, and sees the man in the distance. And this man runs from afar and falls down before Jesus. And there's this exchange that happens between the evil spirits that are within this man and Jesus. And it's not really the man that seems to be speaking, it's these many spirits who are within him. <coughs> and so in, even in, in this encounter, the, the door into, the, into a spiritual realm that's beyond our own, is sort of opened up ever so slightly. We're not told very much. But enough to know that there are evil forces at work. And Jesus casts out the evil spirit into peace. At which point, they run into the sea and are drowned. And I guess we might surmise that the evil spirits are destroyed as well. Well, what's the reaction of the town when they hear about this? 
Jump down to verse 14, down there. The herdsmen fled and told it into the city and the country. And people came to see what it, what it was that happened. And they came to see, came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. The people of the town have just seen something amazing or encountered something amazing, have it reported to them. The Lord of the universe at work in the universe with power over the spiritual realm. They've seen a man who has been, they know, been possessed by something evil sitting there in his right mind. How do they react? They're afraid. And one of the saddest things that happens in this passage comes next. They beg Jesus to leave. And he does. There's a lot of fear throughout this chapter, if you've noticed. The disciples were afraid. When Jesus came in the storm, they were more afraid. The people were no doubt afraid of this demon-possessed man, and when Jesus turns up, they are more afraid. And they just want him gone. This power is beyond something that they want to encounter. But what of the man? He's clothed and in his right mind. Verse 18. And as he was getting into the boat, Jesus, the man who had been demon-possessed, had been possessed with demons, begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. This guy who's been living with torment, physical torment, <coughs> emotional torment, spiritual torment for most of his life, if not all of his life, excluded from among people, not able to just function normally, totally outcast in every sense, is now totally relieved, sheer relief, clothed in his right mind. And what does he want to do? He just wants to be with Jesus, who has saved him. The one person that's been able to do for him what no one else could ever do. And he just wants to be with Jesus. What does Jesus say? He says, no, can't come with us, but go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Well, I, I reckon I'd be disheartened if I was that guy. Like, nothing more would I want to be than to be with Jesus who has done that. And Jesus says, no, go away. This guy's not disheartened though, is he? What does he do? He goes away and he tells everybody what the Lord has done for him to his friends and family throughout the whole region, what the Lord has done. He knows the Saviour and he's experienced salvation and he's telling everybody about it. Our world seems desperate for a miracle, desperate for a Saviour. I don't know if you 
hear it, feel it, see it around, but fear and anxiety permeate people. Like I was reading in the article um, yesterday that said, it's actually, you probably know it, it's the richest people in the world that experience the most anxiety, the most fear. And it's seen in our world. Even in things, moments like the, the Brexit vote some years ago, the, the US presidential elections some years ago, the results <coughs> of the weekend, where people's expectations and hopes are dashed and people actually in tears and weeping at the result of, of elections and votes. Why? Because people are looking to politicians to save them. They're looking to people to lead them out of desperate circumstances. We live in a world where there's real fear. And not for no good reason. Anxiety, and not for no good reason. But you have to find the solution in the right place. Well, if God is so powerful and so concerned, why isn't he doing anything in our world? Well, from what we've seen today, Jesus says, don't put your trust in politicians, but rather what do you put your trust in? In Jesus. That he is the saviour. He can save from desperate situations. He's the one who's able to save from hopelessness. And he does it, as we've seen, through his word. See, it's the word of the gospel that will actually change people's lives. As this guy goes out spreading the message of Jesus throughout the region that he came from, that's what's changing people's lives. It's not some grand political scheme. It's not some military might. It's the word that Jesus is the king. One by one by one, changing people's lives that will change the world. Friends, you might fear them. Uh, feel the fear and anxiety of this world. Jesus says, trust in him. Put your faith in him. How about a pray? We might learn how to do that and do that. Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, that in him you've, gone, you've shown us salvation and you've given us salvation. That we don't need to fear the fears of this world, but to fear you, to look to Jesus and to seek salvation in him. We pray for those that are trying to understand who Jesus is and whether they can put their trust in him. Lord, please work in them and show them who Jesus is as your Lord and Master over all creation, over all the universe, and to put their trust in Him. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Peter's going to come and lead us in prayer, continue in prayer. Uh, if you want to put any of your thoughts down or responses, uh, or would like to read the Bible with someone, use that, use that box, those boxes to do that, and then that in at the end, and we can leave.
Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for fixing the world, for um, coming to heal the world through Jesus, that his salvation, um, and the way that yeah, you change us through that is what this world needs. Lord, we just thank you for what you've taught us today, and we pray that you might help us to take it in, to talk to our friends about it, um, to be challenging them that don't know you. We thank you for stories um, of people like Josh, um, the way that you changed and shaped him, Lord. We pray for the mid-year conference coming up um, as preparation happens. We pray for Richard giving the talks, the seminars and electives, um, that everything's being prepared, that your word will be faithfully preached and taught. And I pray um, that the week will be a great time of fellowship as we dig deep into the cross of Christ. Lord, we also pray for Walk Up. We thank you that this happens every single week um, for the awesome conversations that have been happening. And we pray for continued encouragement and just... You'll keep challenging people to go out and to be doing it, um, even if they may not have done it before. And I find it a little terrifying that they will just be yeah, encouraged by how you're at work. And we thank you for U13 um, and what an encouragement that was for them to come down and do walk up and see the amazing value in it. Um, but we also pray for members of our group and the uni um, as a whole in the stress of exams and assignments coming up. That, um, Lord, for us, that you would still be the number one priority. Um, we will continue to be spending time together, encouraging each other, um, and reading your word and praying and relying on you. And we also thank you for Stan and Claire who were able to come last week. Um, we thank you for their visit and encouragement to us. We pray for their return um, back to where they are, that they'll be able to minister to the people there faithfully, um, especially on the majority of um, my country, which is Muslim. Lord, that you would just be changing their heart to see God. Um, as the true God and to see Jesus as the true Saviour. And we also just pray, Lord, for our leadership, for Prime Minister Scott Morrison and his government as they lead our country. We pray, Lord, that you would give them wisdom to make the right decisions, to look after the Australian people, and they will just bring glory to you in their ruling. We pray that we would all honour um, rulers, leaders um, in our lives and in our country. Um, yeah, to bring you the glory in that. And that your name will be brought the glory. In Jesus' name we pray.